0: welcome to a simmer and gabby podcast rob simpson along with bruce boudreau hello bruce boudreau
1: hello rob simpson
0: (laughs) now if anybody asks why is simmer and gabby not gabby and simmer it's because i'm kind of the host and you're kind of like the main talker guy so well
1: you asked me so i gotta believe it's your show
0: yeah it's my show first because i can't i started the idea um let's talk about those canucks first since we're you know bringing up Vancouver and they have played uh, some very good hockey, a two and one road trip, not difficult to remember the scores five to two, five to two and five to two. And uh, two of them were victories and they have three of the top five scores in the national hockey league. Gabby, is that half of it? And the other half is Demko and maybe throw in a Philip Aronick and a Quinn Hughes. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, if you look at them, I mean, their scoring has always been there or, from when I was there. Like I mean, uh Brock is probably doing uh much better than he did the previous couple of years, but uh uh the other guys have always been um major scorers and and uh like I I I'm pretty sure I said it many times whether it's here or other places that PD is going to challenge for the scoring championship one day and Uh, it seems like now he's he's there I mean uh, last year the year before I think he he started to gain a lot of confidence last year he got great traction and this year he's leaving off and uh, uh, he's the kind of guy that wants to prove that he's the best and he's he's definitely on that on the On the way there and he wants to be the best that's the one thing you got to love about him as a player he wants the challenges he wants to be playing against the best he wants to prove to everybody that he's as good or better than anybody and uh uh, so far this year especially with the uh, decline is the wrong word but the the first 15 game slump of uh uh connor's mcdavid's season that you you find uh, you, you find uh, Elias Pedersen at the top of the heap and and I firmly believed, and I and I told Quinn this last year and I said you're an eighty plus point defenseman and I mean we just got to get the goal thing up and and he practiced and it's not that I told him to do this or anything I mean his dad was a defenseman and a coach for many years and also telling him the same thing is to uh, to shoot the puck and shoot the puck. And if you can get into double-digit goals, you'll average a point a game. And he's obviously doing it. And I think, you know, for years, I mean, he was looking for a partner that um, would not necessarily – and um, Luke Shan was not a liability. He really helped him in many ways. But Philip Hronick, uh is a guy that can add skill to what he's doing and so it makes a two-headed monster every time they, they're they on the ice. And so none of this stuff is, is surprising to me. I mean, uh, I was thinking about the Canucks today and thinking, you know, when people think of this, I mean, they've got five stars right now on their team. And when you think they've got uh, uh, the goalie and everybody needs the goalie, look at all the teams that aren't doing well. And what are they lamenting about is their goaltending. So, I mean, they got the goalie in Demko. They got the defense in, in Hughes and Horonic right now, offensively. They got uh, Petterson up front. They got Miller up front. And they got Besser up front. Now, how many teams can say, hey, we've got six really, really good players on our team, whether it's superstars or just plain old stars? I mean, there's not many teams that can boast six. When you you sit here and and you talk in Toronto, you talk about the big four, you know, and then O'Reilly could be five, but that's it. You talk about any other team, it's three, four. Um, And, but I mean, uh, even Tampa in their heyday had four guys and a goaltender. And so they they would have had five. And so, I mean, uh, Vancouver's right up there with the star power. I mean, uh, Jim Benning, for, for all his um, uh, the way people said, you know, he didn't do a great job drafted really well. And in these guys, and uh, you know, he missed on a couple, but I mean, everybody misses on one or two. Uh, But I mean, he's the one that drafted Patterson and Demko and uh,
0: Hughes. And so, I mean, you got to give him a lot of credit for this. And by the way, at start of business on Monday, Uh, as Gabby just referred to, Elias Patterson, he is on top of the league, 25 points. Uh, And then Quinn Hughes and JT Miller are 23 points, and that is tied for third. So essentially three guys in the top five right now in scoring. And Horonix up there. Horonix up there.
1: has 11 goals or something. So, I mean, scoring is not a problem for the
0: Vancouver Canucks. Hasn't been. Um real quick let's before we get into the conversation i had at the hall of fame luncheon today and transition into the rest of the pacific division let's talk about our favorite number 17s or at least our 17 choices for today our number 17 choice for today who
1: do you got well i mean i i think i want to stick with the theme and the theme being western canada and go with number 17 of the oilers yari curry Ooh. um Uh, you know hall of famer very easily Uh, you know one of the best right wingers to play the game one of the best scorers. and you know it's funny I mean Wayne gets all the credit I mean for him but as good as Wayne is and believe me I'm probably his biggest fan is that you have to have good players to play with and Yari Curry was one of the best but his personality wasn't as as powerful as wayne so you didn't hear as much about him but i mean for a guy that could get away that wrist shot okay and it was so accurate almost like bossy's maybe not as powerful as bossy's and but his key to me he was such a great passer and uh he he, you know again we talk about teams with star power and that and uh that edmonton oiler team of the you know, from 1981 to, you know, till Wayne got traded was pretty masterful.
0: Yeah. The Helsinki native, uh, Yari Curry, which would contribute to his maybe, you know, a little quieter nature coming from Finland back, especially back in those days. There were fewer of them around, uh, but Mm -hmm. uh, obviously a huge impact. I'm, uh, I'm going with Mike Foligno. Ah. Yeah. Detroit Red Wings. And part of the reason... He wasn't, well, he was there for a little while. Um, I was at a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers concert in (laughs) late 1981. And it was the five encore show that Tom Petty often talked about or talked about on uh, a few occasions, including on MTV during an interview at the Kobo Arena, the acoustically perfect Kobo Arena Uh, where the Detroit Pistons used to play back before there was a Joe Louis arena, back before the Pontiac Silverdome and all that good stuff. Um, He was there for just three seasons, but the drummer for Tom Petty was wearing a Mike Fellino jersey for that entire 5 encore concert at the Coba Arena. So I always stuck out. And then I uh, ended up interviewing, he played for the Sabres for years, of course, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then I interviewed him when he was the coach of the Hershey Bears, a position you of course once held that would have been right after that
1: no he uh he coached before me before uh, you yeah like yeah. i mean in in, right. in the early two, uh 2000s i think you, you, know.
0: you might have replaced him
1: no no i replaced somebody that was a colorado coach i can't remember uh, i do know his name but i keep forgetting his name um <laughs> but uh um uh, he was before him okay but was,
0: well, yeah there couldn't have been too much gap though because he left oh well, there wasn't a 0-3. lot of gap
1: yeah and he ended up going to anaheim as co as an assistant coach which i ended up in anaheim and we've talked about it i tell you mike, mike and his family are are one of the great people of uh, uh nhl families i mean yep. it, here's the kind of guy he is i have a hockey school in st Catharines, and uh uh I didn't know Mike at all, other than he played for the Sabers, and through uh somebody that both knew both of us, I phoned him up and asked him to come. And very rarely does an NHL player come, you know, just for somebody you don't know, and um, let alone, you know, there. I mean, I used to ask them to stay for one session, and he stayed for more. Did autographs with everybody, took pictures with everybody. I got to just know him, and one of the great, great people of all of all time, and. Then at the same time, Marcus Foligno is in the exact same boat. I mean, you can't find a better teammate, a nicer guy than Marcus Foligno at any point in time.
0: Nice. Yes, sons Marcus and Nick, of course, both the National Hockey Leaguers. And Mike from Sudbury, coached the Wolves, went to the American League coach, and then ended up going back to coaching the Sudbury Wolves. I think the guy you're trying to think of is Paul Fixter. Yes. Paul Fixter.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And And... I met him at an event in September and and I feel so bad if you're listening, Paul. Like I mean (laughs) I I said I said hi, how you doing and everything, but I couldn't for the life of me knew where I knew you from. And then I'm in the I think the middle of the shot at the golf tournament and I'm going, Hershey. (laughs) (laughs) And I remembered, but I mean it, it bothered me the whole time. That's funny.
0: All right, well, I'll tell you what, since we're talking Marcus Felino, you had him in with the Wild, right? Yes, I did. So let's transition to the Wild. Uh, they're not necessarily where they want to be. I guess we could say that about a lot of hockey clubs at the moment, uh, especially the Western Conference. They're not living up to those expectations. But a 5-8-2 and two start, um, they're giving up plenty of goals. They've lost three in a row. And has their dream goaltending combination been a part of this?
1: Well, I mean – I think I talked earlier in the show here, I mean, uh, about goaltending and the importance of goaltending. And uh, I got into an argument with somebody the other day about, uh, you know, uh, about this famous word structure. Okay. And uh, I I said, look at Dean Evason three years ago was second for coach of the year in voting. And two years ago was third in coach of the year voting. He's got the same systems that's going on the two things that are different the coaches don't change the way they play or that they coach if it's been successful but the defense is is substantially weaker than it's ever been in minnesota in the last say eight years and the um the goaltending isn't as good as as well i mean um not flurry but gustafson in in minnie had a 930 save percentage last year that's not you know, I mean, that's unattainable on a year to year basis. Now he's under 900. You take that with a defense that is less than stellar. They've had some injuries on the defense, and all of a sudden, you're going to get a lot of goals scored. So, I mean, it's, I mean, they've also, you know, like, I mean, um, in the past, uh, uh, since Bob Woods has been there, they've had, you know, a top 10 penalty killing unit. For the most part, now this year they're obviously their penalty killing is thirty second right now. It's not that the system has changed or anything, but I think the goaltending isn't making the the save that they used to, and the the the, the penalty killers I I think are are failing them a little bit in in doing it. But I, I mean again backing the coaches in this i mean it's uh it's something that they haven't changed the only time sometimes you worry about the coaching is if their voice isn't being heard and and uh, and if they're just like going through the motions and not playing with passion but i mean uh, i don't don't see that all that much yet but um uh it's they're, they're definitely not where they want to be at five eight and two and uh um, who knows what's going to happen. Right.
0: Uh, I, and I thought, I think last week you brought up Jared Spurgeon, the importance of this guy and how unbelievably he is. So he is back in the lineup. Uh, Alex golagowski is a guy that they thought was going to be in the lineup. He's been hurt. They've had, they have had injuries, but Spurgeon's kind of stirs the drink back there. Yeah. Uh, I, I punched up their goaltending statistics and Flurry is at three uh, goals against 3.41 and an 8.79 save percentage. And Gustafson is at a 4.64 goals against, and his save percentage is 0.872. You mentioned the PK, 63.5%, and their power play is not countering that because they're only clicking at 17.5%. So
1: you add all that up, it, it adds up to an under 500 record. And And the other thing, too, is I think Minnesota has come from behind in two or three of their five wins by multiple goals and one. So, I mean, um, you know, if those things, which is an anomaly in the, in its sense didn't happen, the record would be uh, a lot worse, but I mean, I always uh, look, okay, who are the top five best defensive teams in the league and every week, every day when you get the sheets and everything, and you can usually tell the top five are usually in the top, six teams in the league and you could probably, and I don't know, I haven't looked at them, um, since I, you know, for a while now, but I bet you could go back and you could still see Vancouver's in the top Boston's in the top. Those are Vegas is in the top defensive teams. And when, when you're, when you're struggling to keep pucks out of the net, a lot of bad things happen. Coaches get fired and teams lose. Those are the two big things that happen.
0: Um, in in coming weeks, we'll, we'll get into, in the not-so-distant future, the former North Stars and talk about the Dallas Stars a little bit because they're on a three-game winning streak, and they're 10-3-1 this year. So Jimmy Nils pushed the right buttons as the GM there. Um, yeah, Minnesota, as you mentioned, five, they're 3-3-1 three, three and one at home. I do I kind of remember the 18-19 the season where you were there. It's almost like the Seattle Kraken. They're trying to figure out why they can't win at home. Didn't you have trouble winning at the XL Energy Center for – at least part of one season, it just couldn't pull off a home game. Um, I think
1: if that was the, the Paul Fenton GM year, I think the last poor it wasn't at the beginning of the year though. That was at the end of the year. And in, in after, uh, the trade deadline, I think, uh, we got rid of, um, Charlie Coyle. We got rid of Michael Granlund. Um, we got, uh, we moved some of our best pieces out. And I think, uh, the team had a lot of home games in March and it didn't sit well with the group. And uh, it was hard to get them motivated to play because they thought we were tanking at that time, yeah. which we weren't, but I mean, uh, we ended up missing the playoffs that year. We were in the playoffs uh, at the deadline and then uh, we ended up missing by three points or
0: something. Yeah. Not horrible, by the way, 16 16, 18, and seven. So a couple games below 500 at home. But obviously at home you want to try to win two thirds of your games. That's like the old school formula: two thirds at home and half on the road, and you're you're probably in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was sitting at I was at the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame luncheon today. I'm looking forward to the induction tonight. But uh, sitting next to Peter Mar, who's a Foster Hewitt Award recognized uh, broadcaster forever with 35 years with Calgary. After three years with the Leafs, by the way, as an announcer. And then next to him was Jim Matheson, the Elmer Ferguson-recognized writer from Edmonton. And I turned to him at one point and I said, Maddie, I said, said, uh, which one of you guys has the more dysfunctional hockey team in Alberta? And they (laughs) they had a nice little chuckle and uh, were trying to figure it all out and went immediately into describing some of the problems that they have going on. So where do you want to start, Gab? I mean, do you want to? <laughs> I don't
1: want to throw anybody under the bus uh, um it's it's certainly something that if we had have been talking at the first day of September that we would not have expected I mean when it's Calgary everybody talks about the 17 one goal losses last year that if you know in the overtimes if they had have won half of them they would have been well into the playoffs and they thought that that was just a a fluke. And if you remove Daryl Sutter from the equation that all of a sudden it's going to turn back into, into great things Um, that hasn't happened so far. I mean uh, um, it's been mired by, you know, everybody thought Jonathan Huberto would get back to hundred point plus category and Cadre would get into the, the seven, the, you know, what he was in Colorado and, and so far again that that just hasn't transpired and um so i mean i don't know the reason why i think they're both really great players but uh uh it, it's just not doing well now zadoroff uh off asked to get out and you know i mean uh, Hannifin, uh, their his contract has been put on hold uh, lindholm's contract has been put on hold uh, Talking. So I don't know what's going on there, but I mean, Calgary is a beautiful city. I just don't understand why anybody would want to leave.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Branch Leving left for Toronto. They didn't offer him a new deal, but apparently he hadn't talked to his head coach for a long, long time last season before it all came to an end. And Daryl Sutter. He's going to make in the ballpark. I don't think it's over 10, but it's pushing $10 million doing nothing this season and next, not each season in total. Yeah,
1: I think he's making $5 million a year. So, right. I mean, in that um, ballpark. And he's so got this anybody
0: year, yeah, this year and he, next year.
1: If anybody wanted to hire Daryl, they got to reassume that contract. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, uh, and a lot of times um, they won't. Like they might phone Calgary and say, hey, listen, we want to sign uh your coach. Uh will you pay for half of his contract if we hire him? And very rarely does the other team say yes. You know, if you want him, you pay for him. And that's the way it way it goes. But uh, uh Daryl's a really good coach. I don't know what's going on in Calgary. Um, former teammate, by the way. Uh the the other thing too, when you're talking about Peter Marr, uh i I knew Peter Marr in nineteen seventy six. How many we go back almost fifty years? Yep. Uh, his um his brother Noonan Marr was best friend of a teammate of mine in in uh, with the Marlies. So I went to Campbellton, uh, New Brunswick in the summer to visit all of them. And you know, Peter Marr would start it, we would we would have ball hockey games, and he would be doing the announcing on the sideline of the ball hockey games, <laughs> which was really cool. Um, That's great. So it's, it's funny how you just, you know, everything interacts and people, you know, it, it's like the seven uh, things of separation or whatever it is.
0: Well, I've yeah. often said it's, yeah, it's the Kevin Bacon, the actor, six degrees of separation. Yeah. And in hockey, it's two degrees. Yeah. It's, it's happened three times since I've been back in Toronto in the last 36 hours. In fact, yesterday I'm speaking to a young lady who works for the alumni association and her brother is a defenseman on the team I just watched in Seattle from the BCHL that came down for uh, five days. The entire league came down to play in this rink in Seattle, so that all the American scouts from colleges and such could come watch them in one wow. place. So they had and a showcase. What in, they had a showcase! In, and in. one of my best buddies' son plays for the Merritt Centennials in the interior, and I meet this gal yesterday um at who works for the alumni at the rink and she says oh my brother's number 28 on the merit centennials and she lives here and i was like mm. that's, that's incredible and it's just that just happens routinely every seems like two or three hours uh, right. but i could go through a list of the people yeah. i just ran ran into at this lunch
1: now as for the other team um up north i think yeah. edmonton's uh, north of Calgary. yeah, yeah. North. Uh, uh who knows like i mean chris knoblock i mean uh um, obviously there's a relationship with Connor McDavid there and, um, the agents got relationship with quite a few players from the Oilers. So I don't know, um, I don't know where it stands, but, uh, uh, we'll see if it, if it makes a difference. Connor says he doesn't have confidence now. Well, I mean, uh, if you're, the, if you're the best player in the world and you don't have any confidence, I don't know how the rest of the team is going. So some, somehow they, they every year Edmonton uh maybe doesn't start out tremendously well, a little, you know, over five hundred and that. And then they go on a run for about twenty games. They're the best team in the league. And I, I think they're still capable of doing it. And uh uh the only thing is it has to happen fairly quick, I think.
0: I don't want to say it's too many cooks spoil the broth, but when you've got like Jeff Jackson is like apparently the CEO of hockey operations and Kenny Holland is working below him and Jackson was McDavid's agent. Was he not? And now we got his former junior coach. I mean, it's like
1: really much. Like, it, well, it, 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 it tells you who's really making the decisions there right, anyway, you right. know, um it's the <laughs> same thing that I think I, I heard today that uh, they asked Kenny, uh, Uh, and he said, yeah, we consulted with Connor and, you know, and we talked to some of the players about, the about him and, um, and at the same time, which would be tough boy talking to a player, if a player ever leaked that to the coach, how's he feel then? But I mean, and then at the same time, um, uh, Jackson Jackson said, no, we make the decisions. We haven't talked to all the coaches. So I think they got to sort of get their, you know, ducks in a row and, and, uh, come from the same place
0: some consistent messaging and mm-hmm. it would it, the thing is kenny Holland's being honest jeff jackson i don't want to say he's dishonest but if he's mcdavid's former agent and he's not asking him and they uh, whatever i mean put two and two and two together it doesn't make much sense
1: but i mean <laughs> i just think like in, in a lot of things in today's world i mean people aren't stupid they can read through these things but it uh, it is what it is
0: right Well, there's a little element to that. And you know this from coaching as a head coach. There's a little element to this on a daily basis when you can watch a guy snap his ankle and be like, what happened to him? Oh, it's a lower body injury. Well, he broke his ankle like we saw it. Like there's that kind of deal. But you have to say, oh, well. Do you have an update on Joe Schmo? And you're like, well, we're gonna check with the uh, medical staff, and we'll get off the airplane and do an analysis. Like, of
1: course, you I know, do. we all and every coach has asked the same thing after every game, right. and we all say the same thing. Well, I haven't checked with the medical staff yet. <laughs> I'll be able to tell more tomorrow. But the first thing we do, of course, is the first thing we do is we go in and we say, "How's so and so?" Right. And give me an update. You know. <laughs> so yeah,
0: it's comical. And there's, there's usually two or three of us in the crew that are the media side are looking at you going, okay, well, we're just going to accept this because we know this is the way it is, but, and Mm -hmm. then whatever. And the others are like, oh okay. Mm -hmm. It's funny. This is one of those little unwritten rules, right? Yeah. We're talking about two degrees of separation and then all these little wink, wink, nudge, nudge that go on on a, on also on a daily basis. Well,
1: you know, at Brian Hayward in Anaheim, uh, we always had fun with uh, with it, and that uh, I'd be doing the press conference, and he'd be the last one behind everybody. And there wasn't many people in Anaheim to start off with, but he's he'd always be giving me the woo the Pinocchio <laughs> thing when he knew I was lying, and
0: I'd <laughs> have to keep a straight face while he was doing it. Oh, he's a beauty, former goalie, right? Yes, ex goalie and uh, longtime color analyst.
1: Does a great job too,
0: by the All way. Right, So, the um, by the way, one of their many problems in, in oiler land is some of these contracts. And um, well, I'll we'll just bring up one guy from each team, Darnell Nurse. I don't get it, and he's making a boatload of money, and I just don't think he's that good. Uh, in fact, how much is he making? It's ridiculous. nine million plus, I think. 9.25, mm-hmm. and that. That puppy runs uh that runs through the twenty nine thirty season, and apparently, I guess Uberdo's contract in Calgary also goes through the same time span. so yeah that's tough stuff, maybe a trade, maybe a trade
1: or it is the door off. uh I'm just talking out my hat here. I have no idea I was just thinking money contracts right you know, too yeah, unhappy like, yeah hey, well Nurse has never indicated that he's unhappy in Edmonton. So yeah.
0: we'll trade So <laughs> Yeah, we'll trade you door off. You might if we toss in this Huberto, guys. <laughs> we'll toss in this $9 million contract. Mm. Well, what happens is if it continues down that road, then the inevitable buyout situation occurs uh, in about two seasons, and then they're sucking it for the next you know, double yeah, of time.
1: We don't want to talk about that because I think. The Suter-Parisi buyouts is part of the reason that Minnesota's in the trouble they're in.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, by the way, one of the other coaching things you brought up that it was kind of funny was, is Sutter sitting on that money for two years. And, I mean, you've done it. Uh, we saw Travis Green do nothing for two years because he's like, why am I working when I can go fly around and have some fun and get paid? And Mike Babcock's the obviously the ultimate uh, milk and what do you got? 50 mil. Yeah, Uh, but you know what, you're you're saying that I don't think there's a coach out
1: there, that if he got another job and had the the only one that I would know went right to Florida after he got fired was Elaine Vino, everybody mm -hmm. else, I mean, I would give up anything uh, that I was supposed to be making for not working to work. And uh I mean, so it, it. I think the the thing that coaches do is coach, and they want to coach, and they want to work, and
0: they don't want to sit at home and not work. Right. But in the case, but there are extreme examples where in Babs' case, when you're talking about whatever it was, six mil? like that's
1: a lot of, It's a lot of money.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like no one's going to say, sure, we'll pony up to eat the rest of his deal for four years so we no. can hire him.
1: And, and that's one of the reasons he didn't have – a job after the Toronto one because nobody wanted to eat 6 million for, it was a minimum of four years. I think, you know, that he was still left on the deal. Yeah.
0: Uh, which is, which is ridiculous. All right. Uh, I think we've uh, hammered our Western conference pretty sufficiently, at least the uh, teams of interest at the moment, because it's a little bit wacky, any comment whatsoever uh, before we go Gabo, on the um, Henrik Lundqvist, Mike Vernon, Tom Barrasso, Carolyn Ouellette, Pierre Turgeon, Ken Hitchcock, uh, and, and Pierre Lacroix, induction class.
1: A lot of great names to me, um, a lot of great names. And uh, uh, there's nothing negative that you could say uh, about any one of them that they don't deserve to be in there. But the the thing that I find the most amazing thing, and it's a stat that everybody forgets, is that Tom Barrasso won the Calder and the Vesna a year out of high school hockey in the U S yeah. And I mean, I, it just, I watched a lot of high school hockey in Minnesota and I just can't picture anybody going yeah. to play in the NHL next year and being that good. And, uh, and then he won the cups with um, Pittsburgh, but I mean, Uh, I find that as a a tremendous story. I'm glad to see Ken Hitchcock went in. I always like to see when a good, a great coach gets into the hall. That's awesome. Uh, but every one of those guys deserves and girl, sorry, Carolyn, I didn't mean to, um, not include you on that, but, uh, for, for, um, olympics for her i yep. mean I, that's 16 years of
0: world championships
1: world championships all the time i mean that's amazing but they're all great uh and they all deserve it and there's not a, a person out there that watches tonight that's involved in the sport that doesn't get a little bit jealous or or think of what their speech would be and uh uh and it would be it's because it's one of those things that when you're a kid you think of the stanley cup what you would do with it and it's all the next thing you think of is when you get inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's a pretty cool thing.
0: Yeah. And of course, like you and Henrik Lundqvist, both pinup models. So you Pin know. Up. Yes. Pin-up yes. And... Can't tell us apart. <laughs> By the way, I had a nice chat with Tom Barasso over the years had a reputation of not being a very friendly guy, but he was a delight to talk to, spoke to him for 10 or 15 minutes yesterday and talked about Growing up in Burlington, Massachusetts, his dad with a group of investors owned a twin sheet of rinks. And that's where he spent so much time on the ice. It wasn't out on the ponds because we talked about that. He said it was at this uh, twin rink that he, his father was a part of. And that's where he honed his skills and became that goalie that you were just talking about. Uh, Enjoyed the induction. If you check it out, Gabby, I'll be there uh, rocking and rolling as a concludes and such and having a nice time and we'll say hi everybody for you and we'll see you soon and uh thank you very much enjoy the hockey action
1: all righty you too you take care and have a great night it'll be fun